Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Oh, it has been such a great church full of praise this morning. Our Lord is wonderful. And, you know, Brother Terry Allen, he stands up here often and he asks a question. It might be something along the lines of one of the verses from the song where we've been singing, I know you love me. And he might say, do you believe it? And I want to ask you this morning, do you believe it? Do you truly believe it down in your heart? You know, our Lord Almighty, Jesus, he's outshining all the stars in glory. Do we believe it with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength? Oh, because uh, I want to talk a little bit about that today, about if it's burning within you. Have you been sharing that with somebody? Have you been talking about him? Because if he outshines all the stars in glory, if we can sing, I know you love me, I know you love me, isn't that something worthwhile? Isn't that something worth telling somebody about? I want to speak to that today in this theme that we've been following, this what's next theme, and really come to a point where I believe Jesus put it out there. I don't know if anybody really expected him to be saying what he said. His ministry, Jesus' ministry, we've been talking about it, full of impressive, impressive miracles and signs. Yet even his closest followers, they wondered, is, is this really real? Is this guy all that he seems to be? He's doing all these miracles, things that uh, were beyond any of their imaginations. And yet they'd ask questions. What kind of man is this that he can calm the waters? Even the waters obey him. Even the winds obey him. He would, he would do this great miracle, and yet they're asking the question, what kind of man is this? And it wasn't just the miracles that he performed that had them questioning in their mind, but it was what he said that generated many questions too. What was Jesus going to say next? They had no idea. Sometimes he was so unpredictable that his disciples, his followers would be stunned. And this morning I want to talk a little bit about one of those times where Jesus performed a great miracle, but he started to talk afterwards. And what he said is worth thinking about. In John's gospel, in the ninth chapter, the entire chapter is devoted to a miracle that Jesus performed for a blind man, a man born blind, and I've talked about this man for a couple of weeks, a few weeks, actually. I've brought up this particular miracle. But it's the entire chapter of John 9 about this man born blind. And Jesus healed him, gave the man sight. And it was the Sabbath day. So 
That caused a little bit of a stir among the uh, Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. They did not like that Jesus would be doing these things on the day of rest. Well, you can't be doing any work, and even if it's a grand miracle, that's work. So you're a rule breaker, and uh, you're a sinner. That was the way the Pharisees saw it. So this man that had been healed, they interrogated him. Who did this? Are you the guy that was really born blind? And they didn't really receive what the man had said, these Pharisees. So they called his parents. And the parents said, yeah, this is, this is the man. He's our son. He was born blind. The Pharisees didn't like what the parents said. They called the man back a second time, interrogated him again. And this man, think about it. You're, put yourself in his position. They're asking are you the guy born blind? He just, he bluntly tells them. He just tells them the truth. I was blind, but now I see. And you're asking me about the, the person that granted me my sight. He's a man of God. God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to people who are righteous they are the ones who can perform these kinds of things. This man must be from God. So the Pharisees threw him out. Here he's, this man saying things like we sung this morning. Nothing is impossible. Blind eyes are open. They threw him out. But Jesus found the man. Jesus found the man and he, he asked him a question. Do you know who the son of man is or the son of God. And that man said, no, I, I don't. Show him to me. Jesus said, you're looking at him. He's standing right before you. And this man, we read in John 9, it says, he worshiped Jesus. And he didn't worship him because he was the, the healer of blind eyes. No, he worshiped him because he was his savior. He worshiped him because he was the one who could save him from his sins. This man realized this is the Messiah, the son of God. Now, Pharisees had followed, and they, again, they, don't, they didn't like what they heard, and they began to question Jesus, and Jesus answered them. And I'll give you the closing line of John chapter 9, verse 41. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus gives somewhat of a jab to these Pharisees, doesn't he? In other words, you Pharisees, you're guilty of sin. Even though you claim to see, you're just as blind as the man I healed. You can't see the Savior of the world standing before you. That's how blind you are. And thus you're guilty. You're guilty. Now, we might think this is enough. You know, Jesus lays into these Pharisees. What's next? Is he going to move on, perform another miracle? No. He kept going. He keeps addressing these Pharisees. John chapter 10, most of the chapters devoted to it. I'm going to give you the beginning of John 10. And this is our focus. John 10, verses 1 through 6, Jesus still talking to these Pharisees. He says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, 
but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus employs an image, a flock, a shepherd, a gatekeeper. These would have been common sights at that time to these Pharisees. But they didn't understand what Jesus was saying as he used these images. Of course, they knew what he was talking about in terms of the real the, the reality of the shepherd and the real sheep and a gatekeeper, but what was he, what, what did he mean by this, by this image? And let's see if we can't shed a little light on it and talk about it. Recall back in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was going to be born, we read a line that says, and there were shepherds live, living out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. So that tells us a little bit about the culture and the time, shepherds in the fields, and were these uh, shepherds, what were they doing as, uh, as it was nighttime and they had their flocks? Well, as the sun went down, a shepherd would round up his flock, he would call the flock, get them into a herd, and move them into a safe place. Predators come out at night, wants to make sure he keeps all his sheep. If he's got 32 of them in the evening, he wants 32 in the morning. He doesn't want a predator to come and steal one. So he moves them into an enclosure, and when they were out in the fields, uh, these enclosures, these pens, they would be improvised. And these shepherds might work together. There might be one, two, three, four working together and they might make an enclosure out there in the fields, build up a, a rock wall, something that could uh, corral all their sheep, and they would work together, and they would employ somebody to watch over the opening or the gate. And for the evening, they'd mix their flocks together. They'd put them all into this same pen. And the gatekeeper would watch the gate. The shepherds might watch the walls or take, uh, uh, take a time, each of them, to watch, guard for a couple hours, let, let the others sleep, just to make sure something didn't come over the walls. Well, at daybreak, the gatekeeper, he'd only open the gate to an authentic shepherd. If some imposter comes along, he's not going to open the gate. Shepherds at the gate... The sheep belonging to that shepherd know his voice. When he calls out, it's like we read, Jesus said, sheep aren't going to come to a stranger's voice. The other sheep would actually, they would be frightened from another shepherd's voice. If it weren't their shepherd, they moved to the back of the pen. And that shepherd, his sheep, they begin to come forward, and he can lead them out, back out into the field where they could Go to pasture and eat. 
once again. And this is the image that uh, Jesus employed at the opening of John chapter 10. And here's the picture Jesus is putting out before these Pharisees. I am the authentic shepherd. That's what Jesus is putting before them. It's my sheep that will follow me. They're not going to follow an imposter. These others that suppose that they're a shepherd, they are thieves. They are predators. They are robbers. They're the ones who make their way over the wall into the sheep pen. They try to go around the gatekeeper one way or the other to get in there to steal. They're not true shepherds, not concerned for the sheep. They've got no concern for the sheep. So Jesus was attempting to tell these Pharisees, you're the false shepherds. You're the thieves. You are the robbers. But the Pharisees, as it seems if you read through all the Gospels, they had a pretty, pretty thick heads. It just wasn't computing. How could he be calling us bad guys? They just didn't get it. So what's now to come? Is Jesus done no, Jesus is not done. He wasn't done with these Pharisees. He's going to have another go at them. He's going to try another image. And this time, Jesus paints it a little more straightforward. This is John chapter 10. Again, we just continue. Verse 7 now. And we'll read 7 through 10. Therefore, Jesus said again. He said it again because they didn't understand. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fill. So Jesus... At first, he used the picture of several shepherds who might be working together, shared a, a place to put their flocks. Now he gives a different image. And this is a, sh a picture of a shepherd who's working on his own, working alone, and that wasn't unusual either for the time. A shepherd might find a field or a place that he could feed his sheep. And if he were working alone, he's looking for a place, maybe a natural place, that he could put his sheep for the evenings. A cave or a cavern of sorts was something that would uh, sometimes be employed. So the shepherd then would not only be shepherding his sheep, but he would act as the gatekeeper, and he might also act as the gate. He'd lead the sheep into this cave at night, and then he'd lay down in front of it so that the sheep wouldn't leave, that they couldn't get by. So the shepherd would actually be the gate for his own sheep that he was keeping for the night. So Jesus referred to all those who tried to corral his sheep, the ones that were his true followers. He had uh, painted them as robbers and thieves. And this is the second time he uses that same language. And I think it might be sinking in. The Pharisees might be coming to realize He's referring to us as the thieves. And then Jesus drives home his point. I am the gate, he said. Not a gate. Not just 
a way. I am the gate. Jesus put it plainly. He put it simple. I'm the gate. All who come into my dwelling will be saved. Now, that's something worthwhile. That's something we're singing about this morning, that we're saved, that he loves us, that he gave his life for us, and he gives this clear, clear image. And we can now see the image. The sheep are the people. The sheep are the people in need of salvation. They need to come in to be saved. The Pharisees, these false leaders, they are thieves and robbers. They offer no hope for salvation. They offer no hope at all. They are uh, not true. They offer nothing that's lasting. Jesus, on the other hand, he offers True, authentic, real, lasting, ongoing salvation. He is the only gateway to salvation from sin. And he offered salvation to all. He didn't say, well, if you're Jewish, you can come in through the gate. Or if you're a man, you can come in through the gate. No. He said, whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever, that's anybody. And then he didn't stop, did he? And we might not have seen this coming, but Jesus continued. He said, whoever comes in will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to kill and destroy, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So, there's more to salvation than just coming in. Jesus said the sheep in the pen will go out. Really? The sheep in the pen will go out? That's precisely what he said. Jesus said they will come in and go out and find pasture. So then, is salvation likened to going into this place of safety, going into this proverbial sheep pen and staying cloistered and safe and secure? No. No, there is more to this that we call salvation than coming into a safe place and just staying there. Jesus identified himself as a shepherd, the gatekeeper, and the gate. Salvation, he says, was by him and by him alone. And he is powerful. He's powerful to keep his fold together and protected from thieves and from robbers, whether going in or going out. It's all through Jesus. But what does it mean? What does he mean by this going out? Jesus' followers, I imagine they were confused. They were often confused and frightened, and I don't think this would have been any different situation. I can see them watching him talk to these Pharisees and developing questions. They might be thinking, how is it he says go out? We've seen flocks attacked by predators. We've seen them scattered, even when a shepherd was nearby. Is this what's next for us? How can we go out of the safe place? How can we go out and remain safe? Don't we want to go in and be saved by Jesus and be safe and secure and comfortable? Sounds great. 
Now, does going out mean then we're not saved? Does going out mean we become unsaved? No, no. Going into the sheep pen through Jesus the gate is certainly and clearly a picture of salvation, coming to Christ to be saved for our sins. But going out, there's no picture here of being lost or being unsaved. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They will follow me. They will go out with me. So we will remain, any of us who are his sheep, we remain under his shield, under his shelter, under his protection, because Jesus is there as the good shepherd to watch over his own, even outside the safety of this picture of the sheep pen. He'll guide safely. He'll guide safely to abundant life. He'll guide safely to pasture. And that's reminiscent of Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8, that say, He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. It's about our eternal destiny, the eternal destiny of our souls. He shall preserve our soul. Jesus is the shepherd who safeguards our eternity. He safeguards our eternal life. When we come into his fold, we're assured of salvation for our soul. We are assured of that. That's an absolute. But we have to live in this world. We have to go out. We have to go out into the world. And we are not promised physical perfection. We are not promised that we will never feel pain. We are not promised that we'll never be persecuted. Those things, they can happen. We can feel pain. Jesus said that we'd be persecuted for our faith. His disciples, they had these fears, they had these questions. They feared for their lives. When Jesus was arrested, they scattered. They didn't overcome their fears. They didn't overcome their fears until Jesus rose from the dead. And then some seven weeks later, they received this outpouring, this powerful gift that Jesus said was coming, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there was 120 disciples of Christ that had gathered in prayer in a, in a little room. And this, again, was seven weeks or so after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 2. And I imagine they were sitting in this room saying, what's coming? I don't know what's next. They didn't know, but they had only been obedient. They had only been obedient to what Jesus had instructed. He said, go into the city and wait, wait, until you're clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? I don't know that they knew. But they went and they prayed and they were obedient. And it happened that in the city of Jerusalem, on the feast day of Pentecost, where the city was filled with people there to celebrate this Jewish feast called the Pentecost. It's a feast of the harvest. And the, the city was full, overflowing with people that these 120 receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a visible sign, a tongue of fire on each of their heads. 
And they come out of that room and they're speaking in other tongues and a crowd gathers and that crowd is amazed and the crowd is bewildered. What does this mean, they're asking? And Peter, Peter, the, uh, the disciple that had abandoned Jesus, he begins to preach. And he began to preach with power. He preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. He, he said that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He said, you need to repent and be baptized. Be saved from this corrupt generation. And what was the result? So what was the result of this? this I just give you the uh, closing, one of the closing verses of Acts 2. To, you, you've got the summary, but what happened from this powerful preaching, Acts 2.41? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this was, a, this was a remnant of Jews. It's something that was predicted. This gathering together was predicted in the Old Testament that they would come. And Jews from every nation under heaven had come together into Jerusalem. Now 3,000 yielded their life to Jesus. They came through the gate. They came through the one and only way to be reconciled to their creator, God, and that was Jesus Christ. And they were added to this little fold of 120. Suddenly, it's 3,120. But there was more to come. We read just a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, 2,000 more were added to this number. Indeed, now this, this sheep pen has become thronging with people. And there is even more. Did these people stay safe? Did they stay sheltered? Did they stay secluded? Did they isolate themselves and say, well, now we've got, we know the truth and, and let's run off with it and keep it to ourselves? Did they stay inside a proverbial sheep pen? No. No, they went out. They went out into the world to share this thing that they had called salvation. They went out with power, the power of the Holy Spirit leading them. The, the gate had opened, the, the gate had opened and their shepherd was leading them by the power of his Holy Spirit. Peter and John were two of the first. And what happened to them? They were persecuted, they were imprisoned. And yet they were emboldened by the Spirit to preach Christ even to those who imprison them. And we know that the word spread powerfully. It spread even to far away as Damascus. And beyond that, the good news kept moving. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Timothy, and many others, they were breaking away from this thing that was called the, the, the sheep pen. The gate had opened wide. Paul into Asia Minor, Paul into Europe, and perhaps to, uh, beyond Rome into Spain. John, John the Apostle, he became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was not a city of the Jews. All these that were saved, and they had come into the fold, but as Jesus had said, they had come in and gone out. They had gone out. And the sheep, the sheep pen that they were in now opened, and more were received into it. Others came into the fold so that some could come in and others could go out. The sheep pen received whoever, whoever, as Jesus had given the invitation 
It was Jews, it was non-Jews, it was men, it was women, it was whoever. Whoever wished to be part of this fold after they had heard, they could do exactly what Peter had said, repent and be baptized. And then we have before us a pattern, don't we? And the pattern is not that we just get saved and we go into this safe, comfortable place and we just remain there until we go to glory. No, the pattern is broader. It includes going out. Going out where it can be uncomfortable. You might feel some pain. But going out under the power and the presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit of the risen Jesus Christ to increase his fold. Our shepherd, Jesus, goes before us. The Lord is at the head. We don't want to stay back in the pen. Let's make, let's make his gospel known to others. Let's make his salvation known to others. There's fulfillment in that. That's the abundant life. That's the abundant life. Sharing what you have, sharing the love of Jesus Christ that's poured into your heart, the, the salvation that you received. Sharing that with others. There's fulfillment. There's abundance to that. And then one day... One day after we've gone in and we've gone out to spread the great news of Jesus Christ, one day he's going to call us home. He's going to lead us to that final pasture in glory to be with him. That's the final pasture I want to look forward to. But until then, instead of saying, oh, I'll stay safe and comfortable here, let's move out. Let's move outside of our comfort area and reach out to others. Jesus said, whoever. Whoever comes through me will be saved. How many of you in here know a whoever? How many of you cross paths with a whoever? I cross paths with a whoever every single day. We need to share with whoever, whoever it is, what Jesus did for you and what he did for me and what he did for them See, people don't know what he did for them. That's what we want to share. Hey, do you know? Do you know that someone died for your sins? Gave his life? You start talking about that with somebody and it can turn their day into something that they didn't expect. He died for us. And that's something so worthwhile. It's something so worth sharing. Let's celebrate that today. Let's celebrate what he did for us. And we do that together. We do that as a congregation in this time at the Lord's Supper, our time of communion. I want to ask our deacons and our elders, if you would, please prepare so that we can sit down and remember what our Lord did for us. And as we do this this morning, think about it. Think about all that he's done for you, how worthwhile it is that Jesus went to the cross, that he died, that he gave his life. At the cross, I bow my knee. Oh, because it's so important that he gave his life for us. And let's think about how we might offer that to someone else. Jesus gave his life for a reason. And Matthew chapter 26, we read about it, verses 26 through 28. 
It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's the reason he went to the cross. And he stated it very plainly. While his disciples were sitting around that table, they still didn't get it. They didn't get it until this, until this great resurrection, until they received power from on high, the Holy Spirit. But we're living post all that. We're living where we have that, and we know it. So let's celebrate that today. Celebrate and remember what he did for us. Now, when you receive the bread, please just hold it till we bless it together. And our communion is open to any and all who have given their life over to Jesus Christ. If you count yourself as one who's given your heart to the Lord Jesus, you're welcome to, to uh, share the communion table with us this morning. We don't have a rule that you have to be a member of our church. You need to be a member of the body of Christ, the church universal. Now, as you receive this bread, I want to remind you, too, what the Apostle Paul said. You know, Matthew said in the words of Jesus that he poured out his life for the forgiveness of sin. Paul told us a little bit more. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's reminiscent about what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So not only did Jesus die for us, and he spilled his blood for us, but the apostle reminds us of how important that is, that we should discern his body rightly, that we should take time to look internally, examine ourselves to make sure that we're totally right with the Lord before we receive his body, receive his blood in the form of this bread and the cup this morning. So do that this morning. Take a moment to look inside, and as you do that, also think. Ask the Lord maybe to put a picture of someone in your, in your mind, a whoever, that you might share this great, great salvation that you have with them.
Father, thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for that, God. As we take time just to examine our own hearts and we've looked inside. Lord, we need you and we ask and pray that you just reveal to us anything that we need to get right with you. You said we judge ourselves. We would not be judged. Help us to do that, Lord, sincerely, that we admit our failings and our shortcomings, God, to you and ask for your help. Ask for your guidance. Ask, ask for your forgiveness. God, we want to bear as much as we can our love for Jesus and show him that. So we do that this morning, God. We ask for, for that great, great grace that we have in examining ourselves that you wouldn't judge us. Thank you for that, God. And now as we hold this bread and hold it high, Lord, we say thank you for the cross. Thank you for what Jesus accomplished for us in giving his life for the forgiveness of sins. He paid it all. God, we sung those words this morning. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. May that never, ever be something we take for granted. Lord, this is his covenant that he made with us, and we remember it today. We take it seriously, and we ask you to bless this bread unto us as we receive it, Lord. May it bring us grace. May it bring us health. May it bring us all the blessing that you and your hand would provide, God. We ask it all in that mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's eat together.
hold your cup as we bless it. Lord, this cup that we hold, cup of blessing, cup of thanksgiving that we bless, Lord, and we ask for you to bless it unto us. This cup represents your blood covenant with us, Jesus, and we thank you for that. We thank you for that. Thank you for pouring out your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Something we never could have imagined, but you took care of it that we could be reconciled unto God. Thank you, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for this cup, Lord. Thank you that you've asked us to remember what you did so we'll never forget. Blessed unto us, we receive it gratefully, gratefully with joy in our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's drink it together. is so good to us that this God that came to earth gave his life so that we could gain eternal life I don't know if it'll ever sink in I don't know if I'll ever comprehend it and understand it but I believe it and Jesus said he's the way he's the gate that we go in to receive that glorious, wonderful salvation. But we go out. We go out. We go out that whoever, whoever might also come in. I want it to be the heart of this congregation that we reach out to the whoever's. That we, in our own personal lives, do everything that we possibly can to share our great, great salvation. You never know when you're going to get an opportunity, where you're going to cross paths with a whoever, where you're going to be able to share what Jesus has done for you. Nearly 20 years ago, my brother, my younger brother, died. It was really tough, very hard time in my life. But I was blessed to be able to speak a few words at his funeral. And I remember going back to the office to work and there were uh, a lot of good people that I worked with, and they were asking me about who my brother was. They were asking me about this funeral, and I had expressed to a few that I was able to say a few things. And one said, hey, why don't you, uh, could you share that with us? And I thought, well, why not? And I had never planned to do it, never expected to. But I sent an email to the uh, the entire team that I worked with, which was a great cross-cultural team of people. There was people that were Chinese, people that were Indian, Hindu, and uh, you know, several, just a whole bunch from all walks of life. And I just sent an email, said, hey, few people have asked. I wasn't planning on do this, but this is what I said about my brother at his funeral. And in that little uh, bit of words that I shared, I shared that my brother's heart was to share Christ. 
And I had said at the end, that was his desire, that Christ and his salvation would be known to others. And I, did, I wasn't prepared for the reaction to my coworkers who privately came to me. Wow, they said, wow. I never saw that coming. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? I remember this one uh, lady from India. She, I don't know her story. I didn't get it completely, but her face was burned. You know, sometimes that happens over in, in India for honor reasons and such. So she had this bad scarring on her face. and She said, I cried reading that. And I was able to tell people about Jesus in a very, very easy way because an opportunity arose. I got to talk about my church and say, hey, you could, you could come if you like. You never know when you're going to cross the path of a whoever. I was out pumping gas one night. I believe it was a Wednesday night after church. It was late. It was dark. I said, hey, I'm going to go get the car filled with gas. Left and told Julia, I'll be back in a few minutes. I didn't take a cell phone or anything. Just went to the gas station. And as I'm standing there pumping gas, this young man walks up to me. He's got a backpack on, and he's at least a half a head taller than me and twice as wide as me. It, this is a big guy. And he says, hey, could you give me a ride? And I said, uh, oh, why do you need a ride? He said, well, I was working over here. There was, there was at the corner a banquet hall. He said, well, I was working, and um, the buses stopped. I missed the last bus. And I said, okay, so I didn't know. You know, it's dark. I never met this guy. I said, I said well, I better, I'll start a conversation. Hey, what's your name? He told me his name was Jeremy, and I started talking to him, and he seems to be sincere that he wants a ride, but I'm not sure, totally and completely. So finally, I just said, hey, Jeremy, let's just get this over with. I said, you know, I could put you in my car, and, I, you know, I said, listen, you can take me. That's obvious, okay? I said, so let's just, let's take care of business right now. I'll give you everything in my wallet. You know, I don't have much. I'll just give it to you, and then, you know, we'll be all good. And I'll even still give you a ride. <laughs> and he says, I just want a ride. So I said, okay. I said, all right, that's good. He needed to go to 13 Mile and Gratiot where he was staying. So I thought, okay, I'll give him a ride. So I get in my car, little car. I had a little car. And this guy filled that front seat. I mean, he's got to get crunched down. And I started to get his story as we drove. I just asked him some questions, and it just turned out he was in a rough patch of his life. He had been living with his grandmother a little further up north, and uh, he needed to get a job and earn some money, so he had come down where he thought he could find a place, and he's staying in this hotel room with another guy, and he didn't have a car. And I began to ask him about his faith. Just, it, it was Another just easy opportunity. And so as I parked in that hotel parking lot, uh, 
I talked to him about Jesus. And I was able to pray with him. I reached into my wallet, pulled out a card. I said, Jeremy, this is my phone number. You need a ride to church. Give me a call. You know, we can get somebody to help you. It was just a simple, just a simple thing. And he had no qualms with me praying for him, took him by the hand, prayed with him, and uh, let him let him on his way. We were at the airport, Julie and I, not that long ago, a couple years, I think it was. You go through the airport, things happen. A uh, young man stopped us. He says, hey, you need this credit card because you can get, I don't know, a zillion miles. Get this credit card and, you know, you'll, you'll fly free around the world 10 times. You'll get millions of miles, all that jazz. You know the pitch, right? So he's given us the pitch and we started talking which led to a discussion about his background. And he said, well, his mom was a Muslim, his dad was Greek Orthodox, and you know, to go to God, there's all kinds of paths. Mm, no, there's not. There's the gate. There's the gate, right? But he needed to make his quota, and we were talking, and we you know, just didn't get to that point where we could express this straightforward, Jesus is the only way. And so it was that we went on our way. But I'll tell you what, I have told you that uh, Julie, she's about souls, and she was bothered. And it was just gnawing at her as we went down to our gate in this terminal, and she said, I'm bugged by this. She pulled out her a card. She had a card, pulled it out, and she wrote on the back of that card, John 14, 7. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And she said, I'm leaving. I said, what do you mean? We got a plane to catch here. She said, no, I'm going. I got to go find that guy, and I got to give him this card and tell him John 14, 7. And then I said, okay, can't argue with that. You go. And she did. And uh, she ran up to that guy, and he was grateful. That young man was grateful that she took the time to share with him. You never know when you're going to cross the path of a whoever. We were in court a number of weeks ago, and sometimes we go to court when we're encouraging somebody, we want to help somebody. Various reasons we find ourselves in a courtroom. So we were, Julie and I, in court a few weeks ago, sitting in the gallery, and a lady was looking for a seat, and Julie had moved over. She said to me, slide over. We moved over, and she motioned to that lady, sit down, and, and, and that lady sat next to her, and, well, you know what two ladies do when they sit down, right? I mean, I thought the judge was going to say, order in a court. I mean, they were started talking. They started talking, and, and they, weren't, uh, they, they weren't doing, not like I said. I exaggerate, okay? Julie would be up here saying she's got to explain me. Now, they were talking softly. The bailiff wasn't going to kick us out or anything. And, you know, she got a bit of this lady's story. It, all kinds. There was all kinds of cases. There's civil cases, criminal cases, all kinds of things. And, you know, this lady was going through a bit of a hard time. So what did Julie do but tell her about Jesus? And again, she pulled out her card, gave her the card, said, you know, you can call we can talk, and they have since talked. They have since talked, they've prayed on the phone, and this is, this is going out. This is not, it's not uh, 
anything that's monumentally hard. It's just taking opportunities. They don't come every single day, I know it. But when they do, let's take advantage of them. And in some of these, we, um, we pulled our cards out. We used our cards to our advantage. Put them in someone's hands. And, you know, it's just a little thing. It's just a very little thing. But it's something that can help. And we've got some. We've got some cards outside. The east side, the west side, right in the, at the two visitor desks here in the middle. And they're just in these little envelopes. They're just little cards that... Uh, have the address of the church, the contact information, phone number. These are something that you can use, and I want you to. I want everyone to just take a pack. There's four or five in each one of these little envelopes. And get uncomfortable this week. Get uncomfortable for a soul. Maybe be a little bothered that there's a soul that might go to hell. And you could have just a little piece of their story. I don't know whatever happened to that guy in the airport. But, you know, I pray we'll see him in heaven. And maybe he'll say, hey, I got that little card you gave me that's got John 14, 7 on there that says, six, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. I don't know. But it was, be a, you could just be a little part of someone's story. We don't always get to be the full part of their story, but we can be a little part using something like a little card. You know what? They don't expect it coming. People aren't thinking, you know, what's next? Is someone going to walk up to me and talk to me about Jesus? Let's be the unexpected. Let's be the unexpected. You know, somebody sits next to someone in court. They weren't expecting to be encouraged and uplifted to find out about Jesus and care and concern and love that he has. Let's be that unexpected. I want to just invite you to stand. And if any of you really will take this to heart, to just grab some of these, I want to ask you to pray with me. And even if you're, and I know some of us are a little more gifted than others in terms of our evangelism and how we approach people. If you would want to come forward for prayer even, I want to pray that God will just use these. Even in the next couple of weeks, we can invite people to be here for Good Friday. We can invite people to be here for Easter. You can tell them about Jesus and say, hey, come on out here and find the love of his church Be a part of his fold. You know, as we get out, draw others in. They're going in, they're going out. And if you would, I want to pray. And and I invite any, if you want to come to the altar, that's fine. If you want to yield your knee to Jesus, at the cross we bow our knee just to say, help me in it, Lord. Some of us struggle. I struggle from time to time. This isn't something I'm hardwired for. But it gets easier and easier every time you share Jesus because there's fulfillment. I find it's the abundant life. I find when somebody smiles and I say, hey, you didn't know this? Let's pray. Oh my, it's such, such fulfillment in Jesus. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I I just pray over these, these little invitation cards and I pray over every heart 
in this place this morning, oh, Father, that you would encourage us to go out, that you would give us help. Lord, I pray this week that you would put whoever's in our paths, put whoever's before us, God, that we could share the love of Jesus Christ with them, that we could share what he has done for us. You've given us each a story, God, about what you've done in our lives, and Lord, I pray that we're able to use that, whether it's something we have done, whether it's where we were at, that you came and you were real in our life. God, I just pray that you would bring it to our mind, put it in our heart, let us expose it to those around us. God, I pray that people in the workplace would begin to ask this congregation, hey, why are you smiling? What's it all about? Why are you so blessed? God, I pray that our neighbors would begin to ask, Lord, in the stores, put people across our paths that we could bump into, whether we're visiting the airport, the gas station, a courtroom, or whatever. God, I pray that you would move upon the hearts and the minds of people people here to be ready to say, Jesus, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the gate. Do you know him? Lord, I pray that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would would empower each of our minds and our hearts. Lord, give us the words to say. You said your spirit would do that. And we pray that you would do that for each and every one of us here, God, because what our hearts desire is, is that your kingdom gets built, not our kingdom. Lord, that your kingdom gets built, that we add to your church, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, we just pray that you would use it to your use, to your greatness, to your glory. Oh, and we ask it, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.